the fight over the collectibles market has turned into a legal drama. Plus, we have an extensive interview later in the show with David Edelman, who is spearheading the 76ers quest for a new arena. It's Tuesday, August 8th. I'm senior writer Owen Poindexter, and this is Front Office Sports Today. Fanatics and Panini are locked in a legal battle over the landscape of the collectibles market. Joining me now to discuss is Front Office Sports newsletter co-author Eric Fisher. Welcome, Eric. Hey, hello. So let's take it from the beginning. Last week, Panini sued Fanatics. What was that suit all about? Yeah, so Panini has... uh, um put in an antitrust filing in U.S. District Court uh, down in Florida. Uh, you know, we've had this massive run up over the last two years where Fanatics bought tops and then proceeded to use that uh, to strike a bunch of long-term licenses, um, in some cases stretching as far out as 20 years with all the big leagues in the United States, uh, baseball, football, basketball, and the respective players' unions. You really sort of need both to do a trading card that has both the name and likeness of the player and all the league and team marks. Uh, so they've put all that together and really sort of cornered the market, at least domestically on a long-term basis. And so Panini has uh, uh, essentially a vi- uh, alleged a antitrust violation that they've gone and sort of cornered the market illegally. Yeah. And when I said, let's take it from the beginning, there there is, of course, another beginning we could start from, which is <laughs> right. Fanatics comes out of nowhere. Yeah, they get the rights from MLB, from Tops, I think was the first big moment. And then, of course, they bought Tops. Uh, and so, yeah, so Panini sues saying, you know, you're eating up too much of the market without even proving yourself in this market. Uh, and then uh, Fanatics had its response on Monday. Yeah, so they the the response um and not really a direct response to the Florida suit, a whole new countersuit and a separate US district court, this one in New York, uh basically making the counter argument that no it's not a uh uh, illegal cornering of the market and really more to the point from Fanatic's point of view, they went on in this long sort of thread alleging that Panini's sort of gotten fat and lazy and really is not doing any good service to collectors and any loss of licensing or any market decline is their own fault. And that's essentially the Fanatic's argument. Yeah, um, I, I would love to know if they had the suit ready to go in the case that Panini did sue them or if they just whip this up in the last four days because, um, you know, just sort in of, response. Sort of both, because um, what's been what, reading through the, the counter suit, 101 pages and a really good chunk of that is a collation of social media content. So there were a lot of people scrubbing uh you know, Twitter X and all of your other main social media platforms for anything sort of bashing Panini, uh, either about the suit specifically or just in general. And that's all been pooled into this filing where there's literally hundreds of screenshots and citations of social media posts from various collectors trashing Panini. And am I understanding it right that because we have two separate suits in two separate districts, these are essentially going on in parallel and in some ways don't actually interact with each other? For now. Ultimately, there's going to have to be some merger of this. And we see this quite often where essentially each side in a dispute like this is sort of – venue shopping to to be sort of the most cynical phrasing of this. Uh, They've each sort of 
within their, their respective filings made a case, not only their main case itself, but also the case of why their chosen jurisdiction they believe to be the proper jurisdiction. There will be a ruling on standing uh, before we get to even the, the meat of the matter. And ultimately, there's going to have to be some merger of these in either one venue or the other. So that actually will be one of the early things to look for in terms of an early winner, an early loss as to who prevails on the jurisdictional question. And that was going to be my last question is, yeah, anything that we should be watching out for in particular as as these two forces clash into each other? Um, so the jurisdictional question and any of that sort of uh, pretrial motion kind of stuff and where sort of discovery goes from here, that kind of general procedural stuff. Uh, but whether or not we sort of get to any sort of motion of or movement towards settlement, uh, you know, it's been such a remarkable run up in fanatics business in, in recent years under Michael Rubin. And there really hasn't been a lot of obstacle or resistance to that march. And even, you know, a few weeks back when uh, the points bet U.S. situation was uh, coming down and DraftKings was trying to get a challenge going there, that really kind of wilted in a matter of days. Um, and this one, you know, because court proceedings take a little bit longer, um, is there any sort of impatience on either side in terms of trying to reach some sort of settlement? Given the ideological differences that have been displayed in these respective filings, the, the short answer at this point would appear to be no, that's probably not going to happen. Um, but as the wheels of justice move slowly, uh, does that sort of timing and tolerance kind of change? And that's going to be something else to look forward. Yeah, absolutely. Eric Fisher, whose rookie card has never been more valuable. Thanks for joining <laughs> us on the show. Thanks a lot. Up next, the Philadelphia 76ers want to move from the Wells Fargo Center, which they share with the Flyers, to a new arena in downtown Philly. That project is garnering all kinds of attention from elected officials, neighborhood groups, and the Flyers themselves. I spoke to David Edelman, who wears several hats, including being the Philadelphia-based partner in Harris Blitzer Entertainment, which owns the Sixers, and the chair of 76 Devco, which is the company leading the project around their proposed new arena. We got into all sorts of issues around the vision for this arena, what it will mean for Philadelphia, and why they want to leave their current home. That conversation is next. Very excited to be joined now by David Edelman, CEO of Campus Apartments, founder of Darko Capital, partner at Harris Blitzer Entertainment, and chair of 76 Devco. Welcome, David. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. So let's just get to know you a little bit. Um, you've been a real estate investor since you were, was it 13 or 14? Is that right? Yeah, the old um, How did you know at that you know young age that this this was a good market to get into? Uh, it, it's a it's a cute story. So a family friend, a guy named Alan Horowitz, who's my partner at Campus Apartments, uh, the kind of guy you call your uncle who's not really your uncle growing up, um, really you know taught me the business as a kid. He was he had started this business with his mother back in the day. Um, the you know the real story is I was eleven years old and I'm playing basketball with Uncle Alan and I said I bet I can beat you. And most people let the 11-year-old kid win. Um, Uncle Alan's a competitive guy, even at almost 80 years old today. He likes to win. And uh, he said, I'm going to teach you about betting. I lost my basketball, my football, my baseball glove. I literally had to go to his office every Saturday and stack lumber to earn 
you know, one of the items back. Uh, two, year, two years later for my bar mitzvah, I had $2,000 of gift money. My parents are like, you know, do you want to give it to your grandfather who was a stockbroker? I'm like, no, I want to give it to Uncle Alan and buy real estate. And yeah, you've been the CEO now of Campus Apartments for around half your life. Um, that company is focused primarily on student and faculty housing. And I'm, I'm sure we could, you know, do multiple hours of podcasting on just that. But as you look toward this massive arena project in, in downtown Philly, what lessons are you drawing from this, you know, other very different part of the real estate world? So, you know, at, at Campus Apartments, I always looked at it that I had multiple constituents. You know, of course, I had the students that were my tenants, but I also had their parents who were paying the rent. And then I had the universities who were a constituent there to make sure that I was doing something great for their customers, right? And that's not too different from when you think about what an arena does. We have our customers, the fans. We have our constituents who are the city, okay? And then, you know, we have the greater constituents, which are all the neighborhoods, the businesses that we hope we can help both inside and outside, and all the jobs that we can create, both building it and then afterwards. Okay, yeah. And and how does that apply to, um, to 76th Place, which is... For our listeners, the name of this um, hopeful downtown arena project. Well, by the way, we could always call it, you know, front office sports arena if you guys are up for it. So, uh, you know, I'm taking, I'm taking kids. You know, um, I'll, I'll talk to the to the guys upstairs about that I'll, one. Yeah, well, <laughs> let me know. We're uh, we're, we're open for business. Um, so, so what does this mean? I, you know, we have uh, the Sixers are the only team in Philadelphia that doesn't have their own home. Okay, we're a tenant in someone else's building that happens to be owned by Comcast, and they own the Flyers, and uh, you know. We're, we're a tenant. And as I tell everyone, at some point, even my renters in my apartments want to own their own home. Right. And so all we want to do is live out our lease. It has another seven years left. And then we want to control our own destiny. And, and really for a few reasons, Owen. One, um, fan experience. Right now, the Wells Fargo Center, by NBA standards and the NBA surveys, ranks near the bottom in every major category. Uh, we're just not giving the fans the best that they could have. Uh, number two, uh, we want to be able to give them the new, exciting, better sight lines, more intimate building. Uh, there's a reason that 28 out of 30 of the NBA arenas are downtown. Um, people want that before game five and after game five, which we currently don't have in our current location here. It just doesn't exist. Uh, and so that ability to do something great for our fans, player amenities, um, for right now, you know, this just doesn't, if you, if you're a visiting team coming to, uh, Wells Fargo center for a game pregame, you're eating in the loading dock, uh, beforehand, we're just not, it's just not putting the best foot forward that Philadelphia has to offer. And so for me, um, I want to build the best arena in the world. Uh, our players deserve it. Recruiting, you know, in sports, there's a salary cap. Everyone can pay everyone the same thing, relatively speaking. What gets people to want to come to Philadelphia? We have the best fans in the world that I know. Okay, this is the best sports town in the country, hands down. But two, we need to give our players a facility that is world class, and we currently don't have that. And so we're going to create that. Um, and then three, uh, we want to win championships, right? And so if we can control our own destiny, uh, that helps with scheduling and a whole bunch of other things. Yeah, a bunch of stuff I want to get into there. But, you know, lots of us would like to have the best arena in the world. What will make this the best arena in the world? So a couple things. One, um, the vibrancy of location, the experience to and before game, post game. Uh, your, your experience going to a game really starts from the moment you head to the game, right? Where are you going to eat or drink beforehand? Um, it's funny. There's a you know, the, 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 for me. I think about you know how do you pregame uh, before a basketball game, and you know 
frequenting the bars and restaurants and bringing life to the city is exactly what we want. After game, our games are over at 9, 9, 15 at night, being able to go out afterwards. So how do you give someone a full entertainment experience that starts before they enter the arena and ends not until they get home? And so we want to be able to kind of package that and really do something great there. And does that involve, I mean, obviously you're all, you'd be in downtown, so there are eating and drinking options right there. Would you also be developing your own? Uh, I think, you know, for us, what we want to do is bring in, you know, I'm, I'm not a restaurateur, right? So, you know, we want to bring in the best people. If you think about, I don't know how well you know Philly, but adjacent Chestnut Street, Sansom Street, all the different neighborhoods, Chinatown have great restaurant options. How do we you know, make them feel part of the pregame experience? And we're gonna, we plan on doing that through marketing programs where we can advertise businesses. So post-game, maybe you can use your ticket and get a discount at one or pregame you can as well. Uh, we want to be you know, kind of a hub for you know, really influencing the culture of the city and the vibe that we really had pre-COVID and we've kind of lost our mojo a little bit. And you mentioned scheduling a little bit ago. There's been something of a, a back and forth between you, um, you know, you slash 76 Devco and the Comcast flyers end of this um, around, um, you know, who gets which dates at the Wells Fargo Center and, you know, if those dates are desirable and all that. So just enlighten us. How does scheduling for games at the Wells Fargo Center, how does that all work? So, so here's how it works. And there's been a lot of back and forth on this. Okay. Um, Comcast gets to scrape 200 to 220 dates off the top for concerts, family, other events. Okay. Players games too? No. So okay. off the top, okay. The remaining dates, okay. So call it 120 to 140 games, 140 dates, um, are now in a pot that we do go back and forth with the Flyers. They go, then we go back and forth. But no one wants to talk about the fact that they've scraped away those dates off the top and we're both competing for this confined period of time. And so for me, you know, I don't want to have, the, you know, I want to be able to control my own destiny. The team wants its own destiny controlled. We don't want to have to worry that, you know, uh, you know, we've gotten into it a little bit of how many times we've played a Christmas game over the last 11 years. The answer is one. Okay. You know, my friends at Comcast magically said, oh, we're going to reserve Christmas for you for the next few years. It's only not until I brought it up that this has now become a thing. It's been Disney on ice the last, you know, 10 out of 11 years. Um, and so that's great. That's their building. They should do it. I I'm in the real estate business. I want to maximize my rent. Okay. But, you know, if you're one of the largest tenants, you probably want to say in what you do. And so for us, all we want is what the other three professional sports teams have, their own home. It's really simple. Another topic that's been going back and forth is the uh, the four hundred million dollar renovation done to the recently completed on the Wells Fargo Center. Um, your side has called this largely cosmetic. Uh, Dan Hilferty, for one, who is the CEO of Compass Spectator and also a governor of the Flyers, has pushed back on that, saying like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! There's new seating, there's concessions, there's restaurants. It's you know, it's practically a new arena." Was there the language they used? Um, I don't know who's right here, but the, it is a very large dollar amount. Um, so, so what's what's the story here? Yeah, look, you know, the dollar amount was $250 million that they announced in 2018 and you know, somehow went over budget to $400 million. Um, and, and Dan's a friend. He'll tell you that. I'll tell you that. Dan's my friend. But he's new in the sports business. And the difference is when you look at newly renovated arenas, forget even new arenas, okay? But bunker suites, loge boxes, 
the experience that they bring that this arena doesn't have, our fans won. Okay? It's very simple. Our fans won it. They don't have it. Um, taking the upper deck of old suites and converting that into restaurants to me is a cosmetic improvement. Okay? Um, putting new lights, new flooring, and painting the outside of the Comcast building, you know, or the Wells Fargo building is cosmetic. Okay? We, as the team, had to put $10 million in to renovate our locker rooms. I wish in my apartments someone would renovate my kitchens and bathrooms for me on their own dime. We had to do it. Okay. Um, so, like, Dan and I can disagree. Brian Roberts and I have a big disagreement about it. That's okay. We're going to live out the end of our lease and we're going to do our own thing. And we will be a good tenant. They've been a good landlord. They provide us with good services. That's not the debate here. The debate is about us doing our own thing. Yeah. And it sounds like they could put in another billion, two billion into the Wells Fargo Center and you'd say, that's great. We're, we're still leaving, you know, oh, for or, our own oh, maybe, you know, Ask me what you think we'd want. You know, we we would have said bunker suites, loge boxes, um, and Dan's predecessor didn't ask and didn't do it. So, you know, look, there's other things. If you look at the NBA fan survey, which we just, you know, we, we've mentioned last week, and you should ask the NBA for it, um, you know, it will show you that the Wells Fargo Center, even post $400 million, again, it was supposed to be 250 now it's 400 I don't know how it got so high. They rank near the bottom at almost every major category, including ingress and egress into the arena parking lot. They've been giving me a bunch of crap about, you know, how am I going to park in Center City? But our fans don't like it, okay? Um, no, technology. They're co techno Comcast is a technology company, and they rank near the bottom in the survey of a technology experience. We have no – this arena has no – grab and go market where it's key, payless, you know, where you just walk in, you swipe your phone and walk out. Okay. There's no grab and go markets here. All the new arenas have that. Okay. So I could go on and on. And like I said, Dan's new to the sports business. I'm sure he'll get up to speed. His predecessor didn't do these things. And so we don't have the things that we want our fans to have that our fans are speaking up. And so I would just say, look at the NBA fan survey. Um, you know, I, I'm not convinced that they understand what's really needed to operate an arena for NBA today. Let's turn our attention now to to downtown Philly. So, um, you know, obviously there's a lot of excitement around the arena. There's also a, a pretty substantial core of opposition to it, uh, to the project. A lot of that has come from um, the Philadelphia's Chinatown, which is saying, look, if you, you drop arena an arena in the middle of this, you know, right next to Chinatown, essentially, rents are going to go up, you know, the neighborhood's going to change. Um, it, you, you might just pretty much do away with Chinatown. And, you know, your side, as you'd expect, is saying, look, this is going to be a transformative project for the neighborhood. How do you have transformative, but also maintaining a, a cultural center right next door? Yeah, look, it, it, this is a fair discussion to have, and I'm glad we're talking about it. First, it's important for your viewers to understand that there is a mall currently downtown Philadelphia that's been there for 50 years, adjacent to Chinatown. It's a few blocks away. Called, it was called the Gallery, now the Fashion District Mall. Okay, It is a dying mall that no one has ever said was in Chinatown until now the arena's there. Okay, I've just never heard it. Um, and, and now all we're doing is taking a portion of that mall repositioning it into an arena and we'll turn the remaining part into kind of an entertainment complex. So what I like to say is I'm taking one box and replacing it with another box. We're not displacing one business or one resident in Chinatown. Yeah. 
But you, but you do anticipate, I, I think, having a major impact on, on that downtown area, right? I hope so. I hope it's a huge impact. Right now, when you look at Market East, which is where that, I don't know, if, again, if, for your viewers who know Philadelphia, there used, that used to be the center of commerce in Philadelphia. There used to be nine department stores up and down that street. The last one, which is Macy's, gave notice they're leaving in three years. The south side across from the mall is boarded up retail. In the center of our city, boarded up. That street is dying. We have public safety issues. The one of the second largest hospital system in the, in the, in the city is across the street. Um, they're having reporting crime issues there. Um, we need people to bring back life to the city. And so I hope this has a big impact because I want to help local businesses. I'm going to create 9,000 construction jobs. Um, the economic output's over 400 million a year just from those jobs. And then you think about real estate taxes. We will create between real estate taxes and other revenue taxes, a billion dollars over 30 years of net new taxes for the city. That doesn't happen if we stayed at Wells Fargo Center. Would the new arena potentially be able to host, say, a hockey team as well as a basketball team? So we have, we're going to, it's going to cost us an extra $100 million. Uh, We are going to design it for hockey. You know, I've made the offer to Brian Roberts that I would love him and the Flyers to join us. It's three blocks away from, you know, they own between their two buildings almost $4 billion of real estate. One of the nicest four seasons in the country that Brian built. Um, and, you know, for me, their workers down, he's had trouble getting his workers back to the city. I thought this was a no-brainer, but we are going to build it for hockey as well. Um, and I think the most important thing that we didn't talk about is that this is only going to be one of five arenas or stadiums in the country that's privately funded. Josh Harris, David Blitzer, and I are not taking any city money to build this. For are, you taking, are you asking for, you know, tax abatements, anything like that? No. On the contrary, I told you we're going to create an extra billion dollars of tax revenue over 30 years for the city. Gotcha. Um, and and how have the Flyers responded to your offer to join them? Uh, no, uh, they've responded by, you know, kind of fighting our <laughs> plans. And just to, to finish this up here, what, what's the, is there any kind of overall part of this vision that, that you think we've, we've missed here and just discussing this, the, the future of the team and their, where they play? Well, look, I, I think the most important thing is, you know, Josh, David, and I want to win championships, right? We want to have the best people on the court that we can get. Uh, we have, you know, a really smart president of operations, Daryl Morey. We think he's one of the best brains in the business. Uh, and we're going to fight like hell to, you know, bring a championship to Philadelphia. And to me, that's, that, that gets us excited uh, to reinvigorate Philadelphia. Uh, we're the poorest big city in the country, and to do that downtown and bring it back to life, and you know, help stem the tide of uh, you know people leaving and crime and things like that, is what you know for me a legacy issue, and why this is so important, and why I'm spending so much time and energy on the arena to do that. But uh, you know, I want to give the fans a great experience. I want our players to have a great experience. And I want Philadelphia to win. All right, David Adelman, thank you very much for joining us on the show. Thanks, Alan. Take care. That is it for today. If you're enjoying the show, tell a friend they might enjoy it too, especially as we head into one of the busiest times of the year in the sports calendar. Thanks for listening. We will see you tomorrow.